welcome to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Allison Roseland, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we like to talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. Uh, we're presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our cities. So you might notice that there's some new voices on the podcast. Lilith and myself are the new hosts. Ryan and Olivia have moved on to some new endeavors. Huge shout out to them for all the amazing work that they did on the episodes that they hosted. We're going to miss them, but we're really excited to step into their shoes and sort of start to carry the podcast forward from here. And hi, everyone. I'm Lilith, and I'm thrilled to be here alongside Allison as your new co-host on the In Development podcast. We're both passionate about advocating for infill development in our city and making sure Edmonton stands out as a prime example for creative solutions. IDEA has been doing remarkable work, and we are honored to be on board with this podcast. And as we step into the roles previously held by Ryan and Olivia, we want to extend our gratitude to them for their fantastic contributions to the show. So, Allison, why don't we start by you telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm an urban planner. Um, I've been working in the planning profession for about six years. Before that, I did my master's of planning at the U of C. And before that, I actually used to work as a chemical engineer. So had a bit of a career transition away from engineering, and, and now I'm in the planning field. Um, and I work for Situate, which is a planning consulting company based here in Edmonton. And mostly I focus on helping our clients navigate the city's rezoning and development processes uh, for their infill projects. Um, I've been in Edmonton on and off since 2005. I did my undergrad here and then moved away to some other places and then came back about five years ago. I just really love Edmonton. Um, always, always have had a soft spot for this city. I think it's a great place to live. I think there's so much exciting um, city building and community building that goes on here. And that's sort of like my niche. It's where I like to be, um, you know, sort of outside of the planning side of things. I volunteer with the Community League in Oliver. I'm on the on the board for that. And I've been involved with them for about, I think, almost five years at this point. That community building mindset is sort of built into me. Um, it's part of the reason why I was really excited to to become a host on this podcast and just be able to talk about city building, community building in initiatives that are going on in the city. Alila, I know you've been in Edmonton for a while too, right? Yeah, so I've been an Edmontonian for the last 15 years or so. If you don't consider the two years that I actually moved to Calgary to pursue my master's in planning at the University of Calgary, that was quite a big leap for me. And um, actually, speaking of leaps, I, I can't believe you were a chemical engineer before you became a planner. Um, I knew you were an engineer before, but I thought you were a civil engineer or something along those lines. Like the, the leap was actually much larger than for you than I thought it was <laughs> originally. Yeah, people always think that I'm a civil engineer and I can answer civil engineering questions. And, you know, there are certain things that I do understand about that world. But, you know, I took one civil engineering course in my first year of university. and That was a long time ago. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on geotechnical or grading questions and 
people always think that I am. <laughs> All right. I had you on my list for any engineering related questions for my projects, but I guess I'm going to cross you out now. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. You need to find another engineer. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to find someone else. And sorry for digressing. I was talking about how I lived in Calgary and uh, I was a student there for two years living in a Sunnyside neighborhood. Um, I was part of the um, the industry, the the planning architecture community. was uh, It was a wonderful time. And so I actually graduated during uh, the year that COVID lockdowns have started and um, ended up moving back to Edmonton to work with Investec Consulting. Uh, that's the firm that I'm working with today. Uh, I work in their uh, local Edmonton branch as a planner and I help design new communities and help clients with their unique um, development needs, but creative thinking. So um, I think much like your work, Allison, I deal a lot with development permits, subdivision, uh, rezoning applications. And um, on top of that, I'm really enjoying uh, master planning new communities in and around Edmonton. So before I um, actually moved to Edmonton, I think, I, th I think you and I share a similar background in terms of where we lived, where we went to university, and where we interned as we stepped out of the professional student life, as I'd like to call it. Yeah, our, our planning student life, I think, had a very similar trajectory because I lived in Hillhurst, which is, you know, part of what's considered Kensington along with Sunnyside. And then, yeah, before you, I was an intern at a plan, the same planning company in Calgary. So, so lots of crossover there. And I can't believe uh, we haven't met each other. We haven't crossed paths until um, until Nicholas and Megan set us down to ask us if uh, we want to be the new podcast co-host. So uh, I'm glad we finally made that connection. Yeah, me too. Um, so I have a very say yes to everything type of personality. And I, I find that it leads me down uh, this um, realm, a whole new realm of social advocacy and volunteering. So in terms of that, I've been um, really heavily involved in helping co-chair the uh, Women in Urbanism, the national nonprofit that works to promote gender uh, diversity and equity in the urban realm. So Women in Urbanism actually started about a year ago. And I'm on the board, um, the founding of founding members is what they call it. So we've really built that organization from ground up. We've done um, a lot of virtual workshops. We've um, put out a lot of educational material for urbanists and other people who are just interested in promoting this um, issue in um, the Canadian context. I'm also the co-founder. I think I can call myself that. Um, the co-founder of the Be Infill event series with IDEA. So this event series is focused on breaking the barriers for marginalized uh, people to networking with other people in the industry. So uh, I have a little bit of a personal stake uh, in this because, you know, I didn't grow up learning how to golf. You know, I'm, I'm not from Canada. I don't know if that a lot of people know this, but when I moved to Canada, I, I noticed that this is like a favorite sport for a lot of people to play and I just had zero talent zero ability to to participate so uh, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there Canadians or non-Canadians who um, are having I guess uh, 
challenges with breaking into those traditional types of networking opportunities like participating in sports or going to drinking establishments or whatnot. So this uh, this Be Infill event series really focuses on breaking those barriers. Keep your eye out on the next event that's going to happen sometime in 2024. Uh, we haven't planned it out completely yet, but uh, I'm really excited to see what's uh, what's to unravel in early 2024. All right, I think that's enough about me. Um, Allison, are you also a yes person and get yourself into various volunteering positions? Yeah, I've been familiar with IDEA for a number of years, probably four, five, six years at this point. Um, I happened to meet Mariah at a different volunteering event, and that's how I learned about IDEA. And then, you know, I've sort of just been following the organization since then. You know, um, a lot of people seem to be introduced to IDEA through Mariah. Uh, I actually uh, also have a Mariah origin story, um, if you want to hear about it. Yeah, sure. Let's hear it. Okay. So as I already said, I moved back to Edmonton uh, during the COVID lockdowns and I came out of um, Calgary, you know, being part of the student community. I was the president of the student association there and I was involved with industry. So moving to Edmonton, I didn't really have those community connections and I really wanted to be involved, give back and learn more about the, the, the place that I'm living in, even though I've been an Edmontonian for 15 years. When you come out of a master's degree with all this new knowledge, you realize there's so much you didn't know about your city. So I got connected with Mariah and she invited me for coffee at dusk, which I think is like the favorite place of all the IDEA members to, to go to uh, right on 104th Street. It, it seems like every, every time I meet with IDEA members, it's at dusk. I mean, I think the servers know Mariah by her name, and I think they know a lot of other IDEA members by their name. Yeah, so she she told me a little bit about IDEA, a, a little bit about what they do. I expressed my uh, desires of wanting to be involved, so she actually recommended that I join the uh, what was called at the time, I think, the Influence Committee, where we look at um, policies and review uh, policies uh, like the, the zoning bylaw renewal more recently. And uh, I also joined the events committee a little bit later on. So um, it, it's great that we both got introduced uh, to IDEA through through Mariah. She's, she's definitely a great spokesperson for the organization. Yeah, I think I've met a lot of great people through the organization. So I sort of hearken that back to that first meeting with Mariah and actually met Chelsea at the same time at that point as well. And then over the past year and a half, I've just kind of been tangentially related to IDEA um, because Chelsea Jersak, who owns Situate, was the she's the past president of IDEA. So have just sort of been on the outskirts of the organization for the past year and a half or so. And I'm really excited to get a little bit more heavily involved um, with IDEA through this podcast. So I think that's a that's a good time for us to sort of talk and share with our listeners some of the things that we're planning um, in the future. So today's episode is really just about kind of giving you a snapshot of who we are, talk about a little bit of highlights of the things that have been going on at Edmonton for the last couple of months, um, and then give you guys a teaser, you know, about what to look forward to in 2024. 
Yeah, this podcast has uh, quite a rich history with it starting in 2021. Uh, and with us doing the 40th episode today, we're we're recording the big 40. And there's actually been a lot that has been happening in the Edmonton scene over the summer and the fall during our uh, mini hiatus that um, we put the podcast on pause for. So uh, I remember last week, um, Allison, we met with the podcast team to have an ideation meeting. Um, and talk about uh, where we're going with the podcast, what to look forward to, what kind of guests to focus on. And I realized that there's been so much that's been happening in the infill scene lately that we really need to talk about. Yeah, there's been a ton of stuff that's happened over the past couple of months. We had the Idea Symposium, which was a fantastic event. Zoning bylaw got approved, which was a huge win for Edmontonians. And now we're getting into the most recent round of engagement um, for the district planning process. So there's just a ton of stuff going on in the planning and, you know, wider infill community in Edmonton. Yeah, I want to go back to the symposium that you mentioned, the Infill Connect. We both moderated the keynote panel on, I don't remember what date it was, but how do you feel about that? I, I came out of it feeling refreshed by hearing all these ideas from Small Housing BC, from Algorand, from Round Square. It was great. I, I did not expect to, to, to hear some of these answers, even though we did rehearse. Um, but, you know, the conversation took a different turn during the panel itself, and it was, um, it was quite a ride. Yeah, no, it was really great. It was a new experience for me. I have never moderated a panel before. So it was a little bit nerve wracking, but also, you know, just really exciting to get to spend some time with some people who are really dedicated to sort of that city building mindset and the opportunity to share ideas from different municipalities, right? Like I think we had some good conversations about the city of Edmonton's infill guidelines, which, you know, I think most planners and people involved in the infill community would sort of view those as outdated, but they were sort of a foundational piece for how the infill development community, like how infill development has evolved in Winnipeg. So it was just, I think that opportunity to share insight from city builders across different municipalities was just, it was a really like rewarding experience. I always find listening to those kind of conversations makes me like, excited about the future. It like, it like makes me feel motivated to like continue on with, you know, advocacy for city building and community building and all the things that we're doing. It, it almost inspires you, right? It definitely inspired me. Yeah. And I think at the same time, it also leaves you with questions to think about, you know, we, our panelists spent a good bit of time talking about housing affordability and all of the various pieces that play into that. And, you know, it's really a problem that we, <laughs> there's not one solution to. And it, I just think we had some really good discussions about that. And I, I hope that we left some of the audience members with some food for thought, you know, to take with them as they, as they move through the next couple of years and in their own paths and in their communities. Yeah, so the the audience definitely had some questions to go home with. There, there were some rhetorical questions that were asked, and 
um, the, the best part of the panel I found was that they weren't striving to find solutions for all the challenges that were identified. They they were identifying them and they were kind of leaving leaving the audience with uh, with ideas on how to potentially approach uh, approach it. And they gave various contexts of um, you know different municipalities. So we. We talked about Winnipeg, Calgary, Burnaby, and you know uh, various uh, municipalities around Vancouver. So, uh, and of course Edmonton. So that was wonderful to 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 hear how other municipalities are uh, battling the same challenges. But you know, of course, outside of the panel, my favorite part of the Infill Connect Symposium was the Hipco Construction Event Space. How cool is their workplace? I mean. There was a basketball hoop, like and a gym, <laughs> right in there. I don't want to. I don't know what to call it. Their warehouse living space. Yeah, I'm questioning how much work they actually do. Like, are they just spending all their time like, <laughs> in the gym and playing basketball? <laughs> but no, I think it's probably like a good brain break. You know, it would be the equivalent of like walking to get a coffee or something. You can go and shoot some hoops for a couple of minutes and just like give yourself a break, which is, you know, always a nice thing to be able to do to break up the work day. But no, I I will second your your comments. Really, really beautiful space. And it's kind of just like an interesting spot to do a panel or a symposium. You know, normally we're in a conference room um, at a hotel or something. So it was kind of it was just kind of cool and new idea to have something at a warehouse basically. So yeah, very cool venue for the for the symposium for sure. Yeah, so it definitely kept me and I think the audience on their toes and it was like a it was like an oasis in the middle of a medium industrial desert so to speak. Um I definitely did not expect to see most of the things that I saw in there uh when I was walking into the the entry. So um good job to Hipco for providing idea with such an amazing space and for providing their employees with um, a really cool uh, way to you know spend the day in, um, in in the warehouse most importantly I, I think the panel uh, that we moderated as well as the other panels um, speaking at the symposium were a very good precedent for the conversations that were happening during the zoning bylaw renewal uh, public hearing. What do you think about that? Did you listen in on any of the live streams? So I didn't get a chance to listen in um, on any of the the speakers from the public hearing. I've gotten Cole's notes from various folks when the bylaw was passed, which is really exciting. Um, You know, epic public hearing. Kudos to the members of council and administration and all of the speakers who came out to 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 talk about the bylaw. Um, I think it's always good to have citizens and, you know, stakeholders, industry players, everyone engaged in the conversations. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what happens in 2024 with the zoning bylaw. I'm really happy that it got passed. I think there are some interesting conversations that are going to come um, as administration starts to do some work on the motions that were put forward from members of council after the bylaw was passed. Yeah, there were a few amendments that they were going to look into in the next year or so. They were going to write some reports, right? 
Yeah, I think there's some, that'll be some reports that will be coming back to council in the second quarter of 2024. And then, you know, various other reports will come thereafter for, you know, probably the next year or so. Um, There was definitely a few of the subsequent motions that I found interesting, you know, and I think that we'll probably have some more conversations about those in the future. Um, But there's a couple that I just wanted to highlight and Lilith, I'm sure you have some thoughts on, on that as well. I think one of the interesting things that came up was around parking and a motion to go back and explore parking minimums. Um, and, you know, I think most people on the pod that are listening here today know that parking minimums were removed from the zoning bylaw in June of 2020. And since then, it's it's provided, you know, developers um, or anyone who's who's doing development in the city a lot more flexibility on what they build, right? And they can figure out from a market perspective how much parking they need to provide. Um, and I think it's interesting that I think sometimes people think when the parking minimums have gone away that that no parking is being provided. And that's not really the case. Like for a lot of developments, there is still parking being provided. And it's just, you know, what what can be feasible to accommodate on the lot, what makes sense from a market perspective, and it provides developers the flexibility to determine that. I agree with you, Allison, and uh, I can speak to that through my experience as well, working on various uh, multifamily projects kind of near the, um, the city core and more so on the outskirts as well, um, you know, just because there are no... Um, no minimum number of parking spaces uh, regulated. Um, we we see a lot of developers um, in my field of work still wanting to put in um, a, a decent amount of parking uh, spaces for the future residents because you have to take into consideration um, how are people getting around? Um, are there um, are there satisfactory uh, public transit routes, uh, bike routes? Um, pedestrian connections in the area is, you know, is the area well connected to uh, other parts of the city? And, you know, a lot of those areas in the outskirts are not. So um, what what I've seen is um, the developers that I work with are still very keen on uh, providing parking spaces. I think that's like so telling as well, because I think we've done a lot over the past number of years to, to create more opportunities for multimodal transportation. But I think one of the issues that we have is connectivity, right? So it's like, okay, well, maybe you can ride your bike in this part of the city, but you can't get any further than that. Or maybe transit access is good in this one area where you often go, but then if you need to go to another part of the city, it's really difficult to do that. And so I think a lot of Edmontonians do still rely on cars to get them around to the places that they need to go. And I think that's one of the challenges that we face as a city going forward is how do we create better connections between between places and, and by different transportation methods, right? It doesn't keep me up at night, but I'm always just thinking about like, how do we just continue to provide Edmontonians with more transportation options? And I guess sort of, on that note, a huge win is that the Valley Line LRT is finally going to start up here yes. soon. Yes. Round of applause to that. Yeah. November 4th, I think, is the day that the that the train is supposed to come online. So 
you know, I think that's that's another huge win for Edmonton, finally. <laughs> Are you thinking about taking a trip to Millwoods when uh, LRT opens on November 4th? I might have to. <laughs> But yeah, I understand completely what you um, are saying in, term, in terms of well-connected neighborhoods. And sorry for digressing a little bit here from the zoning bylaw, but um, I really wanted to also mention that, you know, this is why um, I moved to the Oliver neighborhood. I live in Oliver and it's um, just such a such a great time not having to get in my car just to run simple errands. Everything I do is within walking distance. My work is within walking distance, groceries, uh, the doctor's office, uh, everything you can think of. Um, The only thing that it's not is Costco, (laughs) but you don't want to walk to Costco and and come out with um, oversized boxes that you can't um, fit your groceries in. I think you'd have to invest in a cargo bike if you want to get to Costco without a car. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, yeah, I guess sort of like just kind of getting back to to some of those motions um, after the zoning bylaw was adopted. I think, yeah, one of the other things that came up um, a lot during the public hearing and then, you know, the, the subsequent discussions after the, the zoning bylaw was approved was really around climate resiliency, sustainability, trees um, seems to be a major talking point. And we heard we heard a lot from folks that were in support of the zoning bylaw, as well as folks that were op- in opposition. I think really what that demonstrates is that this is a really important topic for Edmontonians. Um, and I'm you know, interested to see how this plays out over the next year. In the context of climate resiliency and, and just that ecological responsibility when putting together this um, new zoning bylaw, Uh, Another interesting motion uh, that came forward was the motion to reopen the file on uh, direct control zoning for the Glenora Heritage Character Area. And um, this this, uh, character area, uh, the the basis of it is that it really strives to imitate the massing of the Garden City suburb. Uh, Did you get to uh, read about that a little bit? Yeah, I did. And, And we've had some files in Glenora over the past few years that we've looked at. And so we've, you know, done a lot of sort of just thinking about that area. And I, I think the garden city concept is a bit misunderstood. And I, I think, you know, we can kind of take this opportunity to just chat about it a little bit. When we think about the garden city, it's really more about the design of the public realm, you know, so Really, the the basis of that movement was to create healthier, more affordable, economically sustainable human settlements in industrial areas that were overcrowded and unhealthy, right? When we think back to like the late 1800s, early 1900s, that kind of time frame. And really like the Garden City movement is a form of urban design. So we're talking, that's characterized by trade boulevards, the radial street network, green spaces. So all of those things are are the public lands of a neighborhood. It's not necessarily about the actual design of private buildings. So I'm kind of just interested to see like, where does this go? Cause we, we had started to have that conversation a few years ago when they were looking at the, at the, the custom D, DC zoning 
um, for that character area. And I'm just, I'm kind of interested to see how that play again, how that plays out when, you know, sort of like fundamentally Garden City is really more about the public spaces. Um, I certainly never imagined, um, you know, when I was a university student, um, as, as you probably have to learn as well, all these various planning theories and Garden City was one of them. And I never imagined that I would have to, you know, use that concept um, as part of my projects in real life, let alone um, have it be so much tied to um, a zoning regulation. It's like when you're doing calculus in school, you never thought you were going to use it. <laughs> but here we are today. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Um, are you the engineer or am I the engineer? Because you just made a joke about calculus. Like, <laughs> I only bring it up because I did not have a good time in university. In my calculus class, I had to take it twice. Um, it was just painful for myself, my classmates, and my professor, everyone included. So <laughs> it's a core memory, so to say. Yeah, one of the other um, motions that was put forward that I wanted to to chat a little bit about was um, the the motion regarding the restriction on height for the RS zone. Um, you know, really, what this motion was trying to do was was preserve some of those regulations from the mature neighborhood overlay. And I think that the sort of the, that key point is the would have limited um, the building height to 8.9 meters um, in certain contexts within that zone. And really, when we think about what does that actually translate to, what it means is that you can't build three stories. You know, you're limited to two stories, maybe two and a half, just depending on, you know, the design of your particular building. And so when we think about what that limits is like we're limiting the flexibility to provide more livable space within that building, you know, and I and even just like limiting flexibility in the design of the build form as well. Right. I think there's you provide a lot more opportunities for like creative design when you have that third story. And uh, Allison, I, um, I'm i sure you work within the mature neighborhood overlay all the time as part of your work with Situate. Um, and, you know, I have a little bit of a different experience than you in this case, because in my work, I actually don't get to work within that overlay a lot. I mostly work in the suburban areas or the peripherals of the core areas. So in those areas, I actually very regularly deal, in, you know, in the small scale residential, I deal with heights of 10 meters. And when comparing it to what you can do in the core areas at 8.9 meters, uh, it really is restrictive and there's such a lack of parity between what you can do, what you can build in the suburban areas versus what you can build in the uh, core areas and the mature areas, which if someone who hasn't been involved in all of this um, and doesn't understand the background context, it's quite counterintuitive, don't you think? Yeah. And I think, you know, it, when we translate that to, to what it is in the new zoning bylaw, so, you know, in the RS zone, the height is going to be 10.5 meters in the RSF zone. <laughs> they sound so similar. It's hard to, <laughs> when I say them, I can't I even tell the difference to myself, which is the small scale flex residential zone, you know, which is, I think what we would sort of equate with as the, the green field, low density residential zone. 
there's still a larger height allowed in that zone, right? I think it's 12 meters. So we're still seeing that lack of parity carry forward um, into the new zoning bylaw. You talk about the arrest zone. That makes me think of another motion that was put forward by Councillor Stevenson to analyze or revisit um, the requirement for a maximum of eight dwellings per lot for lots in the RS zone. So the uh, council administration, sorry, is going to be putting together a report in the next year that is going to look at either expanding that maximum eight dwelling allowance or removing that maximum number entirely. So it's I'm glad you brought up the arrest zone because that's uh, that's one of the topics of interest for me for sure uh, moving forward in the next year. Yeah, I think and just sort of to clarify, that's that eight unit maximum is for interior lots. Um, so it doesn't apply to a corner lot. But what I'm interested to see is what actually happens like on the ground. So are we just going to get more subdivisions of larger lots? so that people can maximize the amount of units that they build. So in the RS zone, the minimum site width is 7.5 meters, which is, you know, just a roughly 25 feet if you want to make it easier. So if you think about it, like how many 50 foot wide interior lots are there in mature neighborhoods? There's a lot because you have old bungalows that are on gigantic lots you know, they're they're wider than they are deep. Um, so there's a ton of 50 foot lots. So what's going to happen, you know, I, I think what could happen is folks are just going to subdivide those lots because then they can still get to 25 foot lots out of it and then just redevelop and get the eight units on each of those. So it sort of defeats the purpose of that maximum. But at the same time, you're now increasing the amount of time that it takes to actually redevelop those properties, because now you're adding subdivision into that time frame, which is time and money. And it's not even it's not going to achieve like the, the result that that regulation was supposed to. I don't think in the end. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Basically, we'll be probably getting a report on subdivision statistics in a year. (laughs) I don't know. Quite a few um, emotions that were put forward uh, that I think we're both looking forward to seeing how they unravel and what what the reports are going to say at the end of um, 2024 or 2025, whichever um whichever due date they they have for each report but overall um it's uh, really great to see how the city has uh, condensed successfully the 46 zones we currently have into 26 zones and it will all be formally enacted in on january 1st 2024 so that'll be a nice new year's present to the infill community um really really excited about that I know you've watched a little bit of the public hearing. I've been kind of on and off with that as well. But I noticed there were quite a few IDEA members who presented uh, in support of the bylaw. Uh, For example, I saw Jason, I saw Chelsea, Mariah, um, I watched Nicholas present too. So um, it was was really, really great to see um, the IDEA community come out, but also um, I saw a lot of Um, the young community members come out, a lot of students, um, a lot of um, other, you know, residents who uh, gave some really, really 
insightful real-life examples of what they have to deal with day-to-day um, in terms of their housing challenges and how the current zoning bylaw affects their um, their, their life. And you never really think about these things. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, I, I did almost shed a tear one time. I will be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I just, I would really commend any young people that came out to talk because when I was 19, I was not thinking about zoning bylaw and how it would affect my life. Um, <laughs> you know, so I just, I really commend any young individuals who are engaged in, in the city, in just city building, right? Which is really what that is at the end of the day. And um, I think it's really important to in, that they're included in the conversation. Because when we talk about the changes that are going to happen with the zoning bylaw, it's not going to affect us in the next one to two years. It's five, 10, 20 years down the road, right? When we think about the evolution of our city and how it will change and how it might change the way that people live, it's when those folks are in their middle age or when they're older, right? Um, so, you know, kudos to them for coming out to, to, to talk about what's important to them. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to to hear them speak, and I actually caught a glimpse of Bob Summers presenting and answering questions from council. And for the listeners who don't know, uh, Idea um, did interview Bob Summers in our episode nine way back in what you would call probably season one of the podcast. So um, it was uh, awesome to see his perspective on economics, housing affordability. Um, and what kind of impacts the zoning bylaw and renewal will, will, will have on those two things. So it was really, really excellent overall. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've talked about the zoning bylaw renewal a lot. We've almost dissected some of the main issues. And uh, I wanted to focus on the future and what the listeners can expect uh, moving forward from myself and yourself, Allison. So we, we did talk about setting some goals for the year in our ideation meeting last week. Um, you know, we're we're looking forward to uh, chatting more uh, in depth about the new zoning bylaw, um, how all of the ongoing work will um, will unravel uh, moving forward in 2024. Um, and we are really looking forward to growing and uh, diversifying the topics and guests that we invite here um, at the podcast. And we really want to, you know, keep you listeners on your toes and provide you with uh, really good info on current events in the local context. So, um, Allison, did I miss anything or is that in line with what we discussed? Yeah, totally. I think I'll just, what I would add is that I think there's a lot of folks that are involved in the infill process and it's not just developers and planners and architects. There's so many other industries and and folks that are involved in that process and i i would really like to to try to tap into some of those those knowledge bases right because i think one of the reasons that i started listening to the podcast is i wanted to learn more about the different parts of the process right if you think about like how the infrastructure piece works with epcor and sort of the the challenges that developers face when they're at the beginning of the process and you know some of the things that they deal with outside of the the planning realm where when i'm helping them um so i you know i'm just really excited to to talk to some interesting people share ideas share knowledge that will be useful for the infill community and idea members right 
Um, I think it's this podcast is super niche and I I kind of love that, right? We have a, a great community in Edmonton. And I think the more opportunities that we have to, to share ideas across, you know, this podcast and and the other things that idea does, it's, it's great. I'm all for that. Um, and, you know, in terms of like topics, we, you know, I think we have a lot of different ideas that we can explore in 2024. And I think, you know, some of the things that I'm definitely interested to see is like how the zoning bylaw implementation starts um, when it comes into effect, talking a little bit more about housing choice. You know, we have a housing crisis in Canada right now. And, you know, maybe there's some more opportunities to talk about afford housing affordability and those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, even getting into some things about climate change, I think, you know, we it's going to become more and more a part of our lives. And I think if we have opportunities to talk about how that's being dealt with at the infill level or opportunities to, to think about climate change at that level is something that, that I'm just like personally interested in. Um, and I think that's something that we could explore. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're as excited as I am about this and I'm really looking forward to getting the in development podcast on a regular schedule. We did have a little bit of a hiatus here, uh, just doing the changeover uh, and making sure our operations run smoothly on the back end and we've really strengthened the back end team. So we're equipped, we're fully equipped, we're ready to you know, provide you uh, all the greatest news and entertainment in the infill community. So what what else to expect in the future? You know, uh, we, we were thinking about doing a call for questions and feedback from our listeners. And that, that will really help us gauge where to take this podcast moving forward. So we really rely on on you guys to um, give us ideas, tell us what you're interested in so we can make sure that we, we put out the type of information that our listeners want to hear. Allison, what do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds great. You know, we'd love to be able to hear from our listeners and, you know, if they have some cool ideas about what they'd like to hear about and things that we can talk about or people that we could interview. Yeah, we're definitely, definitely game to get some of those comments from folks. Yeah, um, Allison and I are generally, you know, very collaborative in nature. So we're looking forward to this feedback. Uh, so anyone who is thinking about it, do it, you know, pull the trigger, tell us what you think. We're, uh, we're more than welcoming of uh, your feedback. So that brings us to the end of episode 40. It's been uh, quite a whirlwind recording this episode together for the first time. Uh, we've definitely learned a lot about each other uh, during these, I'm not going to say how many hours, but uh, I just want to thank the audience for tuning in, uh, listening to this, this episode and for welcoming us uh, to be the new hosts um, for the In Development podcast. I also wanted to give the audience a little bit of a teaser about uh, the next episode's topic and the presenter. We will have Jason Cunha, who's the current president of IDEA, uh, be interviewed in uh, our podcast. And he's going to talk about the zoning bylaw renewal uh, and what it all means for the city. So stay tuned. And um, next month, you'll, you'll hear from him and his thoughts. And we're excited to uh, give him a platform. To, to present. I really, really am looking forward to the next year. Uh, I don't think I can say it enough. Allison, I think you're as excited as me about this. Yeah, definitely. 
let's move forward. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I will uh, pass this over to you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll just sort of wrap up here with some tidbits on where to find us. So you can find idea at infilledmonton.com on Instagram and Twitter, or are we calling it X now? I don't know, at Infill Edmonton and on Facebook at Infill Yeg. The podcast episodes are on the IDEA website, or you can subscribe in, in, uh, to In Development wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, sign up for IDEA's weekly newsletter to stay in the loop on all things Infill and access upcoming episodes from there. The link to sign up will be in the show notes. Thanks and tune in for the next episode.